hello there, and welcome to Consortio Day. My name is John Chandler. Consortio Day is a podcast about healthy rhythms for people who do sacred work. It's about partnering with God, and what does it look like for us to stay engaged, stay connected, so that as we continue to be formed, we can partner with God for the work that we do, whether that's a career or whether that's our own passion projects where we're working in some way for the common good. My guest today is Mary-Kate Morse. And I am so thankful that I was able to have Mary-Kate on the podcast. As I told her at the end, this is exactly the kind of conversations I want to be having on this podcast. She just brings uh, years of her own journey to the table and talks about the vibrancy of that journey at times and the struggles of that journey at times. She's candid about her depression and her work, not only in her own practices, but with therapists and spiritual directors. So I'm really thankful for this conversation. Uh, Mary-Kate currently serves as the executive dean of Portland Seminary at George Fox University, and she's taught leadership and spiritual formation for many years. And as you'll hear right at the beginning of this conversation, she's she really has a lot of clarity that her calling, her mission is to help form those in leadership at in spiritual formation. And I just really appreciate the voice that she brings in that. So you'll hear, I'm not even going to introduce her when this recording starts because I just happened to be recording and had kind of asked her about that. And she just gave a really uh, clear answer about that sense of mission, that sense of purpose she has for her life. So it's just going to jump right in on that. And then we'll move into more like, hey, this is Mary-Kate Morrison. You'll pick it up from there. But thank you, Mary-Kate, for sharing so much of yourself here. And for those of you listening, uh, thank you for coming back for another one of these conversations. Always welcome you sharing the conversations on social media, reviews on Spotify or iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts would be great too. Thank you. It's, it's my, it's my life call and my life passion and journey is that intersection of formation and leaders to come alongside frontline leaders, people who are actually out there trying to make a difference for Christ, whether it's in a formal or informal role and support them, companion them and resource them. So those are the two things I try to do. Um, so, and it sort of represents where I've ended up and how God's shaped and formed me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I hit record just just generally before because I'm just going to include that. Okay. <laughs> um, but I am I'm here with Mary Kate Morse and it's uh great to catch up with you. Mary Kate, I don't know if you know this, but my first um memory of you, I was living in Seattle and you were there was a I don't remember, I think it was an off the map conference, like a one-day conference yes. at Seattle Pacific. That's correct. Yeah. And that, I remember I mean, that, was, that. That was probably 15, 18 <laughs> years ago. So I know. Yeah. The, the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Yes. Well, that being the case, obviously I've now mentioned that you're in the Pacific Northwest, but tell us about um, tell us about the context of your sacred work. What is it you do? Hmm. And I love the way you framed it as my sacred work. Hmm. Uh, currently, I'm the executive dean of Portland Seminary, which is an embedded seminary in George Fox University. And I've been on faculty and I've done various kinds of administrative roles um, at the seminary through my 32 years of service. Uh, but now I'm the executive dean, which if it were a freestanding seminary, it would be like the president of the seminary. 
Yeah. So that's that's currently what I'm doing, but it's never what I ever imagined or planned to do. So. And do you, do you still have opportunities to teach alongside that? Yes, I'm still Good. teaching. I'm yeah. I'm the lead mentor for the doctoral program in leadership and spiritual formation, and I have continued to to do that on the side. Though I've had to uh, engage the the good services of other great people to help get all that kind of work done as well. Yeah. And you, so I I know this, but I've never heard this from you. You did church planting. What did that look like? Yes, I did. Um, I felt I had a call when I was very young uh, from God. It was really clear. I wasn't even clearly in the church at that time, (laughs) but I got a call from God where God spoke to me and told me that I would serve God someday. And I never forgot it. I was only 10 years yeah. old. And I oh, always wow. imagined and what my passion was for the church. I just, I just wanted to pastor. Um, but at my age uh, and stage in, in our generational history, by the time I finished seminary, um, I could not get a church. Sure. And I won't ask the year, but I'm I'm not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really heartbreaking for me. Um, I had prepared for that and wanted to do that. Um, so then um, the the seminary that uh, where I got my degree, which was at that time the same seminary I'm in now, but at that time was called Western Evangelical Seminary. They asked me to stay and teach. Hmm. So I started out teaching the biblical languages, and I continued, um, and then I ended up. Uh, being tasked with figuring out formation for students. And then I did a doctorate in leadership and I particularly focused on Jesus as a, as a leader. Yeah, um, It's amazing how little academic work is done on Jesus as a leader. Huh. And then when I finished that, the Lord spoke to me uh, really clearly that it would, that was time to go to the church. So it was just, I mean, I remember the tree, the moment at this lake and Lord says time to go to the church. Uh, I graduated from my PhD program. And so like most church planners, I kept my job. So I had a salary. Not a bad idea. (laughs) And then I church planted. (laughs) Yeah, I planted two churches and one was kind of a contemporary church. We were um, appealing to the tech industry out in Portland, which is a huge community with Intel and all sure. of that. And so, uh, and I was with, uh, there were three of us that were planning that church. It went, it went really well. It did well. And then um, I left that after five years. And because I felt like um, it seemed like so much of our work was internal and I really felt a call. I have a little evangelistic side of me. Yeah. And to um, be in communities and places where people who hadn't hadn't heard the gospel, don't know Christ. or So I, after two years, uh, I left and waited two years so that my, the church wouldn't follow me. <laughs> it was very hard to leave. Yeah. And I started another church, which was kind of a, a, a multi-gen, a multi-ethnic church. With, I gathered a bunch of young leaders of, of different ethnicities and church backgrounds, and we planted um, kind of a missional community. Hmm. and uh, got really involved in um, working with the homeless and that sort of thing. And But then my um, 
Gosh, this is going too long, John. I'm telling you. No, that's all good. I I love hearing (laughs) these kind of stories. (laughs) But then uh, I left that after three years because I raised up uh, a male and a female, really gifted leaders who who uh, took on the church because my speaking and writing ministry had gotten to the point where I had I couldn't give the church the attention it deserved. Yeah. And, um, and I had two people who were fabulous. So I felt like God was sort of booting me out of my house and giving me a different, you know, broader mission. Um, so that sort of took off, but all the time I stayed teaching, uh, to sort of support my habit, (laughs) (laughs) my habit of wanting to be in the world and, and serve church leaders. So I, I wonder, see, I told you earlier that I have this list of questions and that we'll probably, you know, we'll go off the map from these questions. Um, So I'm already going off the map, but I I wonder for you, because you said when you were 10 years old, you had this call. Yeah. I I wonder how did that call sustain? Because you, I mean, you did not choose path of least resistance. One, being a woman with a desire to be in ministry. And then two, planting two churches bivocationally alongside work. Yeah. So how did your, so I imagine that wasn't easy. And what, how did that call sustain you or how important did, was it? Did you find yourself often reflecting on that call of a 10 year old? Very often. Actually, I came to faith in college Okay. and, uh, and which is, you know, God pursuing God's children like God does, but I came to faith. And then as powerful as that choice, the call came back. Um, and I, I, I didn't, I haven't forgotten it. And then, and then the Lord has confirmed that with different things along the way. I mean, even taking this job as an executive dean of a seminary at this stage of my life and career was just a really crazy decision. Yeah. But felt that God was clearly calling me to do this and that I was the people kept saying to me for such a time as this, Mm -hmm. everybody said it. It was absolutely exhausting. (laughs) I wanted one person to say, Oh, Mary Kate, why would you do that? You know, you've got a book contract, you have a sweet job with these leaders in this doctoral program. You love it. You create these formation Mm. communities at the beach and, um, why would you? <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it has been like that, you know, it's like, like God has gone before me and there's been some kind of pillar of fire to make it clear, uh, what I should do, but yeah, it's not been easy. It's, it, it's been a, a path of much resistance along the way. So I don't know if I could have done it. I yeah. couldn't have done it without the companionship of Christ in the spirit. And what, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great segue then. What is that? What does that look like for you throughout these years? I mean, cause you, you talked about so many people saying for such a time as this for you. So obviously yeah. having some sense of God's leading and direction. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I also know even from, uh, I, I, I guess, especially your, your second book, your guidebook to prayer, but, um, you know, there's a very intentionally cultivated companionship with Christ, as you just named. Mm-hmm. So talk about that. What has that looked like through the years? Has that been 
a consistent set of practices or does, has that been a very dynamic thing for you? What does that look like? Well, it has changed over the years, John. It, uh, when I, when I received that call and, and I had other kinds of experiences as a young person, it, it, it was like sort of these mystical clouds or memories in my head and I would reflect on them, but it didn't impact much, uh, my life as just would come out. But when I chose Christ, when I was in college, then I figured, cause I'm an all in kind of person. So, you know, I, uh, so when I accepted Christ, uh, in between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I, I told, I mean, it was a bargain. I told God I would try it because I had been trying to find something. I had a big emptiness in me and I felt like there must be something. And I tried lots of different things and nothing was working. So I thought I'd give God a try. And I told God I would give it my all. And so I went back to, so that was the end of the summer. I went back to college campus and I'm walking across campus and I don't know how to do this. You know, I, I didn't know. I, I, yeah. I remember distinctly just walking across campus and well, I should pray. And so that's how my whole prayer life started. I just, well, I don't know how. So you didn't have a guidebook to prayer? No, no, no guidebook. <laughs> no guidebook. And so I just started talking to God and I thought, well, I should go to church. So I went to church and they had a Baptist student union on campus. So I went to that and, and I began to sort of, try to figure it out uh, how to do this and never, and I think I never really had anybody come alongside and, and help me. Yeah. And I, I, I think because of my gender and, you know, I don't know, I, I felt, and I think that's why it matters so much to me that people are leaders, that people have called these burning uh, passions in them to make do something for Christ that they have companions. So anyway, I you know I tried to figure it out, and by the time I was a young, uh, by the time I got married, so that was right after college, um, I had established a set of practices yeah. that were I was pretty committed to, uh, and even when I had children. I would get up early in the morning before anyone and I would take at least 30 minutes. I'd like Mm -hmm. to take an hour, but I would, as a young mother, mothers out there, I feel for you. Uh, But I would try to get up before the children and take 30 minutes and I would read my Bible and journal and pray. Yeah. Read my Bible journal and pray. And, uh, but you know, that has, that changes over time. Uh, but that sort of that was very consistent for years and years and years and years. I, I my practice is different today. Yeah, yeah, it's different. I, so pause there, though. I wonder, you know, as you look back at that, was that season where it was just that consistent pattern? Was that a rich relational, like when you talk about companionship with Christ? Yeah, because I, I think so many people fall in that pattern and they just feel. Like it's mm-hmm. what they're supposed to do. I know. Did I that know. Uh, did it did that help sustain that rich companionship for you, or was that a sense of I just need to show up every day for this? No, it was my lifeline. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think because I was felt so alone, I, I also came from a very uh, broken family background, mm-hmm. very broken childhood and young adult up until I found Christ. And so I just, I had nothing but Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and Jesus had showed up for me. So it was sort of like my little, my closet where I could go and, oh, that didn't mean that there weren't weeks sometimes where it was just like, you know, routine. Sure, sure. <laughs> but I knew that if I kept this up when I needed God, God would show up. <laughs> and God did. And uh, not always in my closet time, but um, that sort of, it was my devotion. Now, I work with people. Sometimes I tell them, don't do that. because <laughs> they're, they're sort of, they're, 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 they have an ought mentality. Like I should do right. this. And if I do this formula, I will find God. I, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think God shows up for people in different ways. And sometimes uh, it's not the Bible reading, journaling, praying, traditional kind of way. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's running. Sometimes it's um, listening to music for you know worship. Some sometimes it's gardening. Sometimes it's cooking. Where it's a habit where they know yeah. that when they go to that space, they sort of can unclutter their soul. Yes. And reflect on God, and they feel close to God. So yeah. helping people figure that out is is really key. Yeah, and it's, I know, you know, sometimes I hear, and I agree with this, actually, sometimes I hear, even in dry spells, you keep showing up to whatever that practice might be. Yeah. Yeah. But at some, at some point, that practice becomes an ought, you know, and how do you, how do you discern the difference between this is a dry spell, and I need to keep showing up, or this has become an ought, and maybe I need to explore something different? I have a whole chapter of that in my book. I should have reread it. <laughs> um, the one thing, uh, because I, 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 I'm a depressive, so I can, I can get depressed. If I, so I think that's another reason why it's yeah. the practice that helps me find emotional stability. Yeah. Um, but so when I'm in a depressive state, what I have found in my routines is that I can't make something come out of me. So then I use like the, the, uh, the Catholic uh, give us this day book or uh, the app. Um, what is the app I use every day? Daily, some daily app. Uh, I use, um, yeah, I use something to guide me so I don't have to work. Right. I, and so I don't have to think, okay, I should read the scripture and make it mean something to me, or I should pray and say something. I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm empty. I'm, I, I'm not, I can't do it. Um, so I use, I use kind of resources like that to sort of, and protect, to support me. And I can't journal. Usually I don't journal. We, if you look at my journals, which you can't, they're to be burned <laughs> if anything happens Fair. to me, but You'll see, you know, uh, spaces of time where there's nothing. And those are usually the the depressing time the de- where I was struggling with depression. Um, so I found that that could get me through. But, but 
sometimes um, you're that's not enough. <laughs> and um, that's where I um, found, you know, uh, counselors and spiritual directors. Sure. sure. I found uh, them key in my life, spiritual directors and therapists and the counselors helped me get real about the emotional relational stuff going on. They helped me manage, recognize things that are going on. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and all of that was huge. Uh, but then um, the spiritual directors and friends, oh my goodness, friends sure, who love me and check in on me. Um, I, that I needed people that, you know, yeah. I would get through it at that time. Yeah. I mean, David Benner, he kind of has this yeah. continuum of like friends to spiritual directors, you know, they're yeah. all spiritual companions along the yeah. way. And I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate yeah. that he, he kind of draws a line between them as even being some, uh, some crossover, some blur there. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And so, yes, I, I feel, if I get, if I can't do the routine, if I can't, um, stabilize, um, yeah then I know I need more help. And I'll, I have flown across country and set up a three day retreat with the director hmm. um, for help when I've been in a pit and I can't get out. Um, and I have made my spiritual and emotional well-being uh, sort of the hallmark, not, not the hallmark, sort of the leading of the arrow yeah. uh, of my work that if yes. that's not right, everything else gets off yeah. kilter. So I have to do whatever it takes, whatever it costs, whatever it takes uh, to figure out that place that I get, I get into um, in order to be, be whole, to be true to who God's, you know, wants me to be. So um, yeah, I'm like a badger. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate your candor about this. Um, and, and I think, yeah, and we talk about, you know, even in my own spiritual director training, we talk about this often. And I have experience both going to therapists and spiritual directors, um, both do really helpful work. Uh, how do you determine when it's time to do some kind of work with a therapist versus when it's when the kind of work mm -hmm. you need to do is with a spiritual director? It depends on how, um, oh, I don't want to use this word. It, it depends on, on how emotionally broken you are. Yeah. Um, the more emotionally broken you are, the more difficult it is to conjure God. That makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because everything in your being is fighting for self-preservation. And it's not that God isn't there or cares about, but when you have to conjure up, it's not you don't conjure up God. I understand. But when the the work, <laughs> yeah. the, the 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 preparation, there's there's so I think in a very special way the spirit is close, but it's like you can't feel it. It's like you're all huddled up in in this darkness, and the spirit. I do know the spirit is hovering, but you can't feel it. And that's when you need a therapist. That's, I mean, I have taken, I've been on antidepressants for years and they told me I'd never get off of them. 
da-da. I was able to, but only because the God, you know, after years. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, I I think that's, and I, and I sit with people, uh, when I sit with people, if the person is really dark, and I've sat with people who are like glass, I mean, like if you just like shattered glass, they would all fall apart or they're suicidal or whatever. Trying to do spiritual direction. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. I, I won't, you know, I tell them, I says, I will pray for you and with you and I will check in on you regularly. Um, but you have to go to therapy. Yeah. And if you go to therapy, so, some, I, a couple times, this is terrible. I shouldn't even be saying it. I mean, a couple times was kind of a deal. If you go to therapy, then I'll meet with you. Yeah. And and we'll just sit and we'll just sit and I'll just listen and pray for you. It's yeah. Like I, I, I certainly think there's some overlap, right, between the work that they can do. But again, I think it was Benner who's talked about how the work of therapy and, you know, Benner practiced both therapy and spiritual direction. He said the yes. work of therapy is to bring one to, I, th- I think the word he said is wholeness or, or a, a healthy place. Whereas the work of spiritual direction is to bring someone to, I, I think he used words like identity and vocation. And I, I find that helpful because unless you have a baseline of health, you know, some sort of emotional health, right. you're always going to be running into that with, when you're dealing with matters of vocation and identity. Yeah. And that, I think that's what therapists do is help you find your, your wholeness, your identity. Um, and so it's a, a, a vertical, I mean, a horizontal relationship, but with God, it's kind of a vertical relationship, but it's a, it's a relationship. It's a God reaching down and you reaching up. Yeah. <clears throat> And it sort of blesses and anoints and wakes up the whole of the identity that um, that, uh, that it's a journey we're on, always on this journey. So I, I detoured us for a long time there because yeah. <laughs> you talked about your um, you talked about your past practices, um, yeah. you know, and then as you were starting to talk about more what those rhythms look like for you now, that's when I detoured us uh, with some of the questions. So I think you started to allude to this, but. What what uh, do your practices look like now? How have they changed over the years? Well, it changed quite a bit um, yeah. in the last, and I would say it began maybe three years ago, but became like um, the 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 way I, I understood it when COVID hit and when I became executive dean, because those sort of happened at the same time. Wow. Okay. So I take on this big job and everything shuts down and everything's having to pivot and everything. And, um, and uh, the, the intensity of it and the houseboundness of it, yes. of the role and of the environment, and also all the social disruption that was going on with our political system and our yes. social, um, our social uh, justice things that are going on. Just it seemed like everything wasn't COVID was sort of like uh, a a physical manifestation of what was going on in the in the psyche of the entire country. So it was a hard time. 
I found at that time that the thing that uh, where I where I met God and where I could find my place of wholeness was getting up every morning, every single morning, very early, and walking four miles. Yeah. Wow. That's what I do. Every morning, I walk four miles. Yeah. In Portland, in the cold of the Pacific Northwest. It doesn't matter. It can be ice and snow. It can be pouring down rain. It can be hot, which doesn't happen very often. Every morning. Yeah. And what I found, um, and that's, uh, and I walk with my husband, uh, he's retired now. So, uh, so sometimes we have just, it's just a great conversation, but most of the time I have found that that's where God has been meeting me hmm. over and over again. And when I first started walking, we kind of were exploring neighborhoods or going all over the place. Now we walk the same paths, different paths on different days. We walk the same paths. And so it becomes another kind of routine, a repetition, like another kind of a pattern, like the, you know, read the Bible, journal and pray sort of a thing. It was this new of walking these same neighborhoods on, we have three routes that we take. And I began to notice things that I hadn't noticed before. Uh, and God began to show up and speak to me in some really wonderful ways. I would be stuck on something and I'd be thinking and praying. And then there would be some uh, guidance from God or some sign from God. It was, it all sounds a little bit, I don't know. My book became The Out of Doors, my sacred book hmm. became yeah. The Out of Doors. So, uh, yeah. And what, and what does that look like with your husband? Is that you're both walking quietly? Is this a dialogue between the two of you with God? How does that play out? No. Well, sometimes there's a lot of quiet, but yeah. I mean, we do talk, you know, and we'll share things. It's, uh, because by the time I hit the end of the day, I don't want to talk to anybody about anything. <laughs> And so I can relate to that. Yeah. So we do our catch up on these mornings walks, but most of the time I would say, gosh, 80% of the time we're quiet. And so I'm in a prayer place. I know my husband is, and we, I often don't even talk about uh, what I'm noticing until after the walk at breakfast or something like, like, for example, um, well, not, just, you know, in the fall, so I've had recent ones, but in the fall, um, we were walking and I looked up and there were, there were, there was a pair of belted kingfishers that were right above our heads. The sky was as blue as blue could be. And um, it was light because it wasn't winter yet. And these this pair of belted kingfishers were uh, right across from each other and they did a full circle over our heads, right above us, over our heads, three times. Hmm. Three times. I have never seen belted kingfishers in that neighborhood before or since. Right. And all these, and so, and and, um, we stood there and we watched that and, and my husband said, you know, Mary Kate, do you know what belted kingfishers are? And I said, no. And he said, they're halcyon birds. And so I I went back and did this research on halcyon birds. And 
Halcyon is it has to do with the Greek myth and all. It's 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 a term that means a return to calm, to calm, a return to better times. Huh. And we were just starting the semester, and people were just coming back into out of you know all these lockdowns and everything. Yeah. And it came to me as a as a sign from God that we were going to be entering into a period of calm. And the calm, of course, is uh, spiritual. Sure. We, you know, the COVID Things out there haven't all calmed no, down yet. <laughs> no, but it was like a great blessing. It felt like a yeah. blessing on me, on the seminary, on our students. And I shared the story with them. And I shared this story. I felt like the Lord has given a sign of God's blessing that we are being watched over and that in God, there is this place of calm, no matter what's going on. Yeah. Um, so it's like that. I, I mean, things, things happen like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not lost on me. Um, how many times I think you're my seventh interview now. Cause I just started this podcast last fall. It's not lost on me how many times going for a walk has come up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and maybe a few of them particular to COVID, but certainly I appreciate how specific it was for you. Yeah. Um I yeah. I want I wonder even as I'm thinking about that, you know, you talk about that I'm trying to formulate a question or a comment off the top of my head, and who knows where this will go. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a, I'm trying to put a thought together. But, yeah, I mean, I, as you talked about the importance of this inner calm, even in the midst of the, the disruption, and, it, it, and even that in order to find that inner calm, you had to leave your inner room, so to speak. Like, you had to get yeah. out. Yeah, I had to get out. And, and I wonder if some of the disruption that's even happened with COVID is because, because we did all have to start looking inside and we did have yeah. to start looking internal and we couldn't right. keep ourselves busy anymore right. to quiet down the, the discontent or whatever might be going on internally. And so that's what mm -hmm. brought a lot of that to the surface for a lot of us. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. Um, it does. My life was pretty intense. Uh, with being the dean. So I was in meetings, like I'd have eight or nine back-to-back -back Zooms, uh, you know, during the day. So I think for me, my prayer place, where usually I have this office that I, you know, have fixed it to be a sanctuary for me. So I yeah. have religious art and meaningful things all around me. Um, and um, so I can turn and see evidence of, of God's love and, you know, symbols of things that have happened in my life. But being inside, uh, I, it, it didn't, it wasn't my sanctuary anymore. My sanctuary became outside. And I don't doubt that that happened for a lot of people. And for, and it became my place of prayer to be outside. And, um, and, and I, and, when I really, like I said, when I really started to feel, I see the connection between my earlier patterns and my current patterns, really started to experience uh, it as a devotional time uh, yeah. is when we walk the same, same paths. So the, the routine, we get up at the same time, 
Huh. Doesn't matter what's going on outside, and we walk the same path. And why do you, and why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that same path consistency added to that uh, awareness or attunement? Maybe, maybe I just answered yeah. the question. But go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I think I think the spirit is very gentle, and oftentimes uh, when we're when there's too many distractions or interesting things or we got caught up in stuff, uh, we, we miss it. And so it's the still quiet voice. And so when you walk the same thing every day, you notice the still quiet things that you don't usually know. You know what's different. Yeah. You, and, and also, so sometimes there's external things. Sometimes it's internal. Sometimes I'm just processing with God and, as I walk and God start, he will speak and uh, help me, you know, guide me, help me actually very clearly. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, do you think this is for a season? Do you, I mean, do you wish you'd been walking for all these years or do you think this is something that you needed to find for this season and then maybe something else will come later? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. It's not like, oh, this is it. I should have been doing this. No. What I was doing before was exactly what I needed to be doing at those times. Yeah. Um, and so this is uh, kind of new habits. Um, and I don't know, because it's interesting, uh, and I'll just, I haven't said this out loud to anybody yet. Um, I, on my walks not too long ago, I heard the Lord tell me, Mary Kate, get strong. Get strong. And that was like, oh, I can't. Does that mean something else is going to happen? Yeah. And uh, there was actually some really bad news on a couple things that came right after that. But the app, on the heel of that, um, there was a, a, a sense that I needed to return to my journaling. Hmm. That I needed to journal. Yeah. And uh, so I got a book and um, and I and I know what I'm supposed to journal. So um, th that would be going back to something. So sure. it, yeah. I, I journal like if I if the Lord uh, says something or I see something, I usually always will uh, give bear witness to it. Like, you know, I'll write about it or I'll mention it or. Uh, encourage someone else with it or something like that. Um, but um, that, that practice of putting it on paper, uh, that would, so it's fluid. Yeah. Yeah. It's fluid. And I try to follow what is life giving and not think that there's something that you should be doing but it's something that God shows up for you and it's generative. I mean, it, you feel like you're yourself. Yeah. You feel, you find those, those moments of a reordered inner life. Yes. Yeah. And, and so even the physical act of walking sort of reorders your life <laughs> in a sense. So I'm starting not to make sense. So no, you're good. Uh, I'm curious, and you, you've alluded to this, um, you know, you've alluded to depressive seasons and that kind of thing. 
how do you know when you're not doing well? Mm. Well, I know when I'm not doing well, when um, I don't have joy in my day. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just, it's not just tired. Like, oh gosh, I had a hard conversation. Yeah. And that person is still annoying me or stuff like that. But I can't get, I can't get back to it. I find I don't have, uh, uh, it's very subtle because I've lived with it for so long. So I can sort of de- notice early. I don't get very far down that road before I think, okay, I'm, I'm depressed. Hmm. And uh, I waste time. I, I don't, uh, I don't have energy to get things done. Um, I not very kind sometimes in how I respond to people or think about things. I'm not my best self. And how do you notice those things though? Cause I get, you know, I can get into those things and not even notice it, especially not being kind. I don't notice oftentimes until my wife points it out for me, which doesn't (laughs) often go well for her. (laughs) Sorry to say. Well, I'm a lot older than you are, John. So I've been <laughs> thinking about this, and it really wasn't something I easily identified at first. I just think, oh, it's busy, and I've got so much to do, and there's pressures. I didn't understand that my emotion, my internal state had had gone, was getting dark. Yeah. Uh, but now I'm pretty attuned to those subtleties, and uh, and uh, what I do is I. I, I first I bear witness to it and I tell my husband right away, I says, I'm depressed. Hmm. Yeah. I just say, Randy, I'm depressed. And yeah. he'll hold me for a long time. Yeah. Like and physically I, hold you. Yeah. He'll hold me. Yeah. He won't say anything. He just holds me. And then I'll usually tell one of my friends and somehow bearing witness breaks the spell. Yeah. And then I think when I break the spell, okay. I think, okay, what do I need to do? Uh, what do I need to do to uh, restart restart me, to get to a better place? And, and usually it means I have to put work aside. I have to make some choices, some difficult choices of taking an ex- like an extended weekend or something. Um, yeah. And, Flying and across you, the country to spend or three days. That, and if, it's, <laughs> if it's really, you know, if yeah. it's a... Uh, if it's really, then I will, I will call and I'll just say, Hey, can I come out? Yeah. And I have, uh, I have a person who, who, who lets me do that. Yeah. Um, um, it, when I, when I first started recording and I said, I would leave this in, you were sharing a little bit about your, and maybe this will bookend our conversation because I'm aware of the time a little bit, but, um, you you were talking about just what you had really identified as your life mission, you know? Uh, I wonder what did the process look like of finding clarity for that for mm-hmm. you? Because I think many of us would love to be able to have that level of clarity about this mm-hmm. is, you know, it's one thing to say I'm called to be in ministry in some way, but it's a whole right. other thing to have the level of clarity you stated. What did What did that did that happen early? Has that been an ongoing journey? How did you find that level of, I don't know that I want to say the word certainty, mm-hmm. but conviction maybe yeah. about it. Yeah. Well, I, I was not a real keen person on, you know, figuring out your purpose and all that sort of stuff. 
you know, like there's some kind of get a little mission statement. And yeah, early on, I just thought that's just ridiculous, you know, but now I'm like really keen on it. <laughs> uh, but it took me a long time to figure it out. Um, and it could be, I think part of it uh, for any women that might be listening is that women don't often get told externally that uh, that they don't often as much get noticed that they're doing something well or they have yes. a gift or yes. there's spiritual fruit out of something that they do. So it's harder to figure out that there's anything besides doing whatever's in front of you as best as you can, mm -hmm. figuring out that there's any intentionality that God expects for your life. Uh, because when God said to me, uh, Mary Kate, you're going to serve me one day, Holly, that could be like anything. Yeah. So it's it's taken uh, a journey for me to figure out and refine and then know with crystal clarity how God has formed and shaped me at this stage of my life, what I'm supposed to be about. Yeah. And um, And I've refined that. And what it does is it helps me make decisions about what I should and should not do. Yeah, for sure. And so for, for instance, this conversation, John, Yeah, I remember you and yeah, uh, I remember our, you know, I, I remember you and I just wanted to see you and be a part of your world and contribute to what you were doing. So it's, it's, you know, if someone out of the blue just says, you know, Mary Kate, will you talk to us? <laughs> Sometimes I do, but, uh, I, I'm aware that I'm called to to companion and support resource people who are on the front lines of, of ministry. And yeah. so it helps me make decisions. It helps me order my day. It helps me if I'm depressed, it's usually because I'm off off game. Yeah, I'm playing someone else's game, not mine. Then I have to rethink, okay, what is it? What is mine to do? And what is mine to let go? Uh, you know, you disappoint people and that sort of thing. But no, it took me a long time to figure it out, John. Maybe other people know it clear, still clear, very soon and young. And I think that's amazing and wonderful. But yeah. for me, it took some time. And do you think it was, was it, not to put words in your mouth, but do you think it was just trial and error? Like when you did things that didn't quite fit, you thought, well, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing or, or how did, how did the real clarity around that emerge? Well, um, it's where I went when I would do things and God would show up. Hmm. That's when I knew, okay, this is where the spirit and I are in sync. Yeah. Uh, and if I find myself just doing stuff and I'm, I'm doing it well, I mean, I can do stuff. So that's the confusing part. If people can do a lot of different things of trying yeah. to sort it out. Um, but when it felt like I was doing stuff to, to support other people's um, ambitions and dreams, but I was not, uh, I was not alive in it. I was functional, not inspirational. Yes. And that doesn't mean I don't have to have, it doesn't mean I have to have a platform or be at the top. It's not that at all. I yeah. love building teams and developing leaders, uh, lifting them up. 
No, yeah. it's just I, re- I recognize when I um, when when I'm in partnership with the spirit. So I'm a nine on the Enneagram. Sure. Yeah. Any Enneagram folks out there. So an Enneagram nine has a lot of trouble kind of figuring out who they are and what, where they're supposed to contribute that their laziness is actually about their, their knowing who they are and what their voice yeah. is and what they really should be about. Yeah. So you integrate to a three and uh, a three um, knows what their voice is and they, they stand out and they speak their truth and they, they are clear about what they want and don't want and yeah. all that sort of thing. So when I learned the Enneagram years ago, that kind of helped me embrace a public role where normally uh, I would normally just have said, well, you know, someone else can do it. Why, you know, why do it? But I embraced it as the Lord saying, Mary Kate, things for you to say, things for you to do, people for you to sit with and, lead and care for that sort of thing. I I remember when we first established our leadership team for our church community in Austin, you know, in our first kind of like, in our first internal leadership team. And one of the things we spent time talking about was the Enneagram. And we asked people to kind of do some pre-work beforehand. And basically there were two people who were somewhat apathetic about it. And one of them was a nine. And one of them was, at the time, I think he thought it was a nine. I think later kind of discerned he was an eight with a nine wing, yeah. a very strong nine wing. So, <laughs> But I appreciate that. I, I never thought through, even as you talk about your own journey, then that clarity that came from you integrated into the three, you integrated into that clarity and having your voice and what that was. So I'll, I'll ask you this question, which is very open-ended, but kind of as a wrap-up question. Um, what do you understand now? Um, that you wish you understood when you were starting out in your ministry so many years ago? Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I know you gave me that question to think about, and it's one I didn't think about because it, it sort of stopped me a little bit. Um, what do I wish I knew back then what I know now? I don't know how to unwrap who I am from the journey Um, because I am who I am now because I didn't know stuff. Yes. You know, I, I, I didn't know. I mean, all my books are all, um, they're my, they're my story. (laughs) They're what I've had to figure out and learn along the way. So to wish that I knew it back then would be, to disrupt the formational journey that I was on. Um, Of course, I wish some things hadn't happened. I wished I'd uh, been smarter, uh, wiser. I wished I'd known how to stand stand up for myself better. Um, But it shaped me to who I am today. So I... I embrace my foibles and all all the places where I have uh, made mistakes and tripped up and what I didn't know in my ignorance and and experience. And I'm still on that journey. I mean, I'm still wrestling 
uh, with things, trying to figure them out and listen. And that's, I think that's what the life of faith is all about, is that we have a God who loves us in an unformed and formed place. (laughs) And And that God is present and with us all along the way, cherishes us. It's like a mother hovering over us and helping us get our shoes on the right feet occasionally uh, or do something we might not normally think to do. I mean, I, I think that's the kind of God we have and that's what makes it so safe to take the journey. Yes. Because we'll always be okay. I I appreciate how much grace there is towards yourself in that response. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's an important learning, just the grace towards yourself. Thank you. Um, uh, why don't you just talk, you've alluded to them, but can you talk just briefly about your books? Cause I, I've read one, I have guidebook to prayer is a one that I've used as a resource. And then I admit I have not yet read your latest one. So can mm-hmm. you just talk briefly about those? Cause from what I know of them, I think they're fantastic resources. Well, thank you. Thank you, John. My first one is called making room for leadership a power space and influence. And it came out of uh, my doctoral work in studying Jesus as a leader who was both a servant mm-hmm. and a leader. Yeah. And we usually err on one or the other sides. And, uh, and what I found was the, uh, the cat, the sort of the common, the common point that sort of helped balance servant and leadership was how people use power. So making space for leadership was uh, all about figuring out how is power created? Where does it come from? What is happens in a group? Um, how, how is it that some people are given power and some are not? Um, and, uh, and then how do you steward it? How does a group own the power resources of the group? We, we have these things together. Um, and I, that came out of my experiences in my first church plant when I was figuring out uh, uh, the leadership. Uh, the, the three of us that were on the leadership team uh, had a rough go of it. Hmm. And I had to figure out, I had to figure out uh, how to bring myself into a room and do that in a, in a God uh, a Christ yeah. way. Yeah. And so it's very practical. So, and it uses Jesus as the example and lots of stories uh, uh, where it helps anyone then figure out, because some people have a lot and they don't know it. They, they just assume, you know, because they're clever or they're the president or something and it's their right. Sure. But for Jesus, his, the power that he had was always in service. And so he managed it. He didn't just want it. He managed it um, uh, for, for our benefit and for God's glory. And if you don't have any power, then how do you, how do you show up in a room? So it's really practical like that. It's, it's built for individuals. I wrote it for individuals and also for leadership teams to sort of figure out and name the elephant in the room and, and not judge anybody, but help people be more effective for God because they understand how God's power is used for God's purposes. So there's that. Then the prayer book came out of T. 
teaching prayer for 25 years and, right. um, and my own prayer journey. And then the last book is they called Lifelong Leadership. And it's of the importance of leaders, people that are doing out there doing ministry, that they're in communities for the, for, uh, the long haul and that they meet regularly and listen to each other's stories and pray for each other. So it's like group listening prayer practice, but you commit to a community. I have a group. We've been together for 12 years. Wow. And I have another group. We've been together now for, cause I was helping groups get started. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's kind of a practical, it tell it, it really tries to say, this is urgent. We can't go it alone. Having a couple friends on the side to talk to at the end of the day is great, but really need people to hold you accountable, but love you unconditionally. You can call them, know your story and carry it sacred, you know, year after year after year. Yeah. So that's what that book is about. And yeah. I've gone all over the world training in that because um, I found this to be a need everywhere. I think it's becoming more of a need, right? And after the two years of isolation, I think I think those kind of embodied practices all the more, or mm -hmm. uh, not embodied those those kind of communal practices. Communal all the more practices, yeah, yeah. I think they've always been uh, a need. I think, uh, like I think Jesus's disciples were kind of in a mentoring community where they would. Yes. He would teach them and they would, you know, pray and that sort of thing. Um, but we often are not very intentional about putting people around us who will care for us, pray for us, and whom we can tell whatever. Yeah. And they can bear it and bear us through it for the long haul of our calling. Yeah. Well, thank you for for talking about those again. I think again, I I, I have the third one sitting right over there on my <laughs> ebook reader waiting for me. So, uh, I, I just I appreciate your voice. Um, well, I appreciate you, just what you offer, and I appreciate that you've done that even out of some of your own you know journey and brokenness that you've shared today. Mm -hmm. um, thank you. This is this is exactly the kind of conversations I'm wanting to have here. So, thank you for saying yes. You're so you welcome, John. Thank you yeah. for the opportunity to just be with you and talk with you and the people that pay attention in yeah. your world and glad to be of service. All right. Thank you.